0: topic. It has to do with uh, stewardship. It has to do with resources. It has specifically to do with money, with money. Uh, everything I'm going to say today has, I want you to think about money. I don't want you to think about your resource of time. I don't want you to think about your resource of talent. If you can play the drum or the guitar, that's great, but that's not what we're talking about today. We are specifically zeroing in on that topic of money. And everybody said, amen. I thought I heard an O man. Amen. Not an O man, an amen. So the title of this message today is, is Your Money and His Mission. Your Money and His Mission. I believe we need to look at our finances through the, through the lens of His mission. What is His mission? What is God's mission? It's called Missio Dei, the mission of God. He wants the nations to hear about the saving power that is found only in Jesus Christ. He wants the nations, every ethnic group, every person to know Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. That's the mission of God. So I'm saying we need to look at our resources that God has given us through that lens. Does it make sense? Let's also realize today that everything we have, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, everything we have belongs to God. It's reverberating. This is good. Everything we have belongs to God. So whether that money is in the checking account, the savings account, whether it's tied up in, the, in mutual funds or the stock market or CDs, whether it's in an IRA, whether it's in a uh, retirement fund somewhere else, or whether it's between the mattresses in your bedroom, wherever you have that money, it really is the Lord's. Our responsibility is to be sensitive to the holy spirit and disperse that as he directs us. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds very scriptural. So we're talking about your money which really isn't yours and his mission. Turn with me to Psalm 67, Psalm 67, and it says this beginning with verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God our God will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. That is a prophetic psalm. Did you notice how many times the word nations or peoples is represented, is stated? Also, it talks about the ends of the earth. It's about ten different times. Ten different times. It gives us the idea that God is concerned about the nations. Sometimes I hear people say, if I was the only one here on earth and Jesus died, it would have been worth it i am saying, yeah, I know what you're trying to say. However, he died for the nations. He died for seven billion people. He, he died for everyone, not just us. And we've got to take this message into the nations. Verse number one, you, you, if you, well, I should say it this way. How many of you have ever asked God for his grace? How many of you have ever asked God to bless you? How many have ever asked God for his favor? most of us. This is a good prayer. To ask God for his blessing, for his grace, for his favor is a great prayer. It's a scriptural prayer. It's a prayer that we should pray. But I believe that we pray verse one because of verse number two. Look at verse number two, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. I believe that God has blessed us at this day and age in history, we are here in America. I don't know about you. I had no, no say in where I was going to be born. I showed up. So then you spend your life saying, why am I here? Then you discover you're here to be a blessing to the nations. So God has put us here in America at this time, in this, in this economy, with all the richness that we have, the riches that we have. He's placed us here so that we will be a blessing to the nations. I don't believe that God has given us all that he's given us primarily to take care of ourselves. I don't believe, I don't believe God's chief concern is our comfort. I don't believe that. Because this definition of comfort is mind-boggling. If you bring different people together, you'll have different levels of comfort. And it seems those who have more, their level of comfort is higher. But the point is, we are here, and we have what we have, so that we will be a blessing to the nations. We've got to keep the nations ever before us. So, in looking at this psalm, we're talking about money in the church. It's a healthy thing to talk about money in the house of God. Money is probably the issue you and I struggle with the most. If you don't have it, you wonder where it's going to come from. If you have it, you're worried how you're going to lose it. Okay, we're going to be honest with each other today. Okay? So feel free to shout amen at any time. Money is that thing we talk about, or we need it. We need it to go and buy food. We need it to pay bills. It's, it's part of our life. Let's not be so spiritual and say, oh, I don't worry about that. You do worry about it. In fact, half marriages that end in divorce, it's all because of money. So don't tell me we don't, we don't think about We think about money. But I believe that if we do things, if we handle our money the way God has ordered us, We will enjoy his peace. When we don't do it his way, that's when all the heartache and the trouble and the stress come. So, we're going to talk about money in God's house. There's three things I want want to bring to your attention. The first one is this when we talk about money, there is a sacred element involved. Money is not evil, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Money is neutral. Money is is nothing. We just need it to live, but it's it's not evil in itself. If it was evil, you, you wouldn't keep it in your house. All right, I'll move on. I believe when we talk about money in God's house, we have to view it, view it as a time of worship. View it as a time of worship. Worship means extravagant respect or admiration to an object of esteem. The object of esteem when we're worshiping is God Almighty. He is our focus. He's what we're, we're centered on. I want you to think with me back in the Old Testament days. Before there was a temple, the people of God would gather around, around a stone altar. And when they would bring offerings, they would bring offerings of, of cattle, of crops, even drink offerings. And they would leave it at the altar, and the fire of the altar would consume those offerings. Now, each item had significant meaning. Because God was the one who told the worshiper what to bring. God is the one who designed it. You could see it in great detail in the Old Testament. So it had significant meaning to God, and it also had significant meaning to the worshiper. Every offering that was brought represented the wealth of the individual. They brought that offering from their pool of assets. They brought that offering that item from their resources, and they're told in other, other parts of the Old Testament, make sure that which you bring is of good quality. Remember, don't bring a, 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 an animal that is blind. Don't bring an animal that is lame. Bring the best before God. And so they were told that, that you bring that offering, it represented their wealth. So it had significant meaning, represented their wealth because it came from their asset pool. All right, representing their purchasing power. That's what we would call it today. So we can therefore say that the the offerings that were brought, they had value. So the worshiper of God brought something of value and they left it for God on the altar. Now, giving of something of value is an act of sacrifice. When you offer something precious, that's an act of sacrifice. And there are degrees of sacrifice involved. So we have to look at giving this way. The actual gift that you have, whatever it is, the gift that you have, as well as the act of giving, is an act of worship. When we give, we don't give to Pastor Ben. Now that was a good place to say amen. He'd be the first one to shout it. When we give, we do not give to Pastor Ben. We do not give to Gateway Church. When we give, we give to the Lord. If we lose sight of that, then our giving becomes carnal. Our giving becomes carnal. I hear of stories where there, when the pastor speaks and he says something that is sensitive and some people take offense, well, the way the people respond is this. Well, I'm not giving in the offering. That doesn't happen here. It just happens, I can't say down the street. It happens uh, out in somewhere else. But you've heard it. You've heard it. They, they, they say, I'm not going to give. And so they withhold their offerings. Now, they think they're getting at the pastor. They think they're, they're really teaching him a lesson. The reality is they've removed themselves from the position of blessing. Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So if you remove yourself from that circle of, of more blessing, more blessed to give, you remove yourself, you're not going to be more blessed. Well, you'll you'll be blessed to a degree because God causes the sun and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. But the more blessed life, if you're not giving, you're not there. Plain and simple, you're not there. But that shows an idea of immaturity. It shows a, a lack of understanding of Scripture. Because you're not giving to man, you're giving to God. Why do we give to God? Because we align ourselves with what He's doing. When we honor him with a tithe and and the offering, we're saying, God, I'm all in. I believe. I believe in this. What you have done in my heart, I want other people to experience. I'm going to fund your mission across this planet. You see, when we forget that worship experience, like I said, our giving becomes carnal. And then when our giving becomes carnal, it hinders our faith. It hinders our faith. Why do we give? We told in Scripture that God doesn't need our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Certainly, he doesn't, own, he doesn't need our little bit. So what's the purpose of tithing? And when we tithe, we tithe on the gross, not the net. Come on, a good amen place. I need that card that said amen, like applause, you know, on TV. When we give, we, we give off the gross. Why would you shortchange God? All right, that's for another day if you ever have me back. We'll talk about that. We, we give because giving helps us understand that God should be honored. Also, that God can be trusted. If there's a message that I have for the church in America, this itineration, it's this. God can be trusted. He can be trusted to do what he says he will do. And God knew that we're going to struggle in this area. So he wants us to know that he can be trusted. When I bring my tithe and my, my offerings to the Lord, this is how I, I view it. In the world out there, in the culture we live in, this world says whoever has the most money has the most influence. They have the most power. Those are the ones that the world imitates. The world wants to read their books. The world wants to drive their cars. The world wants to wear their tennis shoes. The world wants to dress just like them and act like them. So whoever has that influence, whoever has the money, whoever has the power, people look up to that person. Well, I'm not of this world. That's what the book says. I'm I'm a foreigner in this land. I'm passing through. And so my view is a little different. I say, Lord, even though this money, this 10% and the sacrificial offerings, even though this represents power out there, I'm bringing it before you. And I'm willingly laying down my influence and my power in this world. I'm laying it down so that I will become less and you will become more. Does that make sense? That's how I view it. And there's freedom. There's freedom in honoring and giving to the Lord that way. Again, if if we remove this element, this sacred element of giving then our giving is going to become very carnal, very carnal. Sometimes we hear people say that when you you give, you give to keep the electricity on in the church. Have you ever heard that? Sometimes pastors, I was in a church one time, and and the pastor said, you know, your giving is our bread and butter. I know what he meant. He meant that your giving is important. We need it to function. But let me tell you, I'm not concerned about being anybody's bread and butter. And then another church saying, you know, when you give, we're able to keep the electricity on. Well, that doesn't really motivate me to give. You know, in fact, it demotivates me. Why? Because I already have an electricity bill at home. I don't need another one. But when I'm reminded that when I give, I give to the Lord, that excites me. When I'm reminded that when I give, I am reaching the nations, that's purposeful giving. That's spirit-led. That's strategic giving. Amen? So there is a sacred element. Let's bring the sacred element in. Oh, I just had a thought. Let me remind you of this. If you've ever have this is this is like off the notes. If you ever have opportunity to pray over an offering, do not pray this way. Ready? Lord, we thank you for this offering. We thank you for everybody who gave, and we thank you that that that. Or, or let me. We thank you for everybody who gave. We ask that you bless them. And we ask that you bless those who didn't give. Amen. No. 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 Why would you ask God to bless disobedience? Here's a better way to pray, if I do say so myself. Father, we thank you for those who have given in this offering we know that your word declares you will bless them. Bless them and let them see your blessing tied to their obedience. And those who haven't given, Lord, show them in your word. It's their responsibility to give. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a little subtle thing, but don't bless. Don't ask God to bless disobedience. God help us. Okay, there's a sacred element. Back to my notes. Number two, there's a supernatural element. There's a supernatural element involved in giving. There always has been, there remains today, and there always will be a supernatural element. But I'll caution you, those of us in the West, sometimes because of this enlightenment movement that we've experienced as a people, we've excluded God, we've pushed God to the margins, and we say, God, I can handle this. God, I'm going to reason this through. I'm going to think it through, right? This is how we think. Most of the world, their worldview is totally different. The worldview of the, of, of the majority of people is very spiritual. You don't have to convince an African of the spirit world. They know it exists. They know it. They were brought up in it. They know that there's righteousness and unrighteousness. They know it's good and evil. They know there's a battle going on. But here in America, first of all, you've got to convince people. There's a spiritual battle going on, right? Right? And so, so here we've tried to exclude it. We've ex- excluded the supernatural. But the supernatural is, is real. It's part of life. Now, there are terms that we misuse in the Christian community. One of those terms is awesome. Awesome. Awesome by definition means awe-inspiring. All right? No matter how good that burrito was that you had for lunch the other day, it's not awesome. It's not awesome. I would suggest reserve awesome when you talk about God. Find another word, maybe delicious. All right, you find that your, your, yourself. And then there's another word miracle. Miracle. When something good happens, we're quick to say, oh, that was a miracle. You drive to Meyer and you find a parking place that's real close. And what do people say? Oh, it's a miracle. When I, w- I would say, no. It's not a miracle. It's a good thing. God favored you. Your timing is beautiful, impeccable, yes, but a miracle, no. The tide didn't stop rolling in. The earth didn't shift on its axis. It's just a good thing. Supernatural. Supernatural. We see a lot of it on television. We hear that word. If you're listening, you you hear it. You see how the world is bringing it in. I think sometimes the world brings it in to discount it. But there is a supernatural element in giving. One one verse I want to bring to your attention is Proverbs chapter 11. Now, when we talk about supernatural, we're saying the natural says things are going this way. But when it's supernatural, it takes a totally different turn, a totally different course. And we're saying when God moves supernaturally in a situation, it takes a totally different course. Proverbs 11 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. I believe that's supernatural. Because in the natural, when one man gives freely, whether he gives rice or beans or marbles or stones, whatever it is he gives, eventually he's going to run out. Right? But God's Word says one man gives freely, yet somehow he gains more. Well, how does he gain more? supernaturally. Somehow God shows up in that life and provides supernaturally. Alright? Look at the second part. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. In the natural we say, even though I should be giving here, I'm going to withhold it because I'm going to spend it over here. So in, a, in the natural we say because I don't spend it, I have it, therefore I'll be okay. But God says, for the one who withholds unduly, he's going to come to poverty. That which he thought he was going to have is not going to be available. The complete Jewish Bible says it this way. Some give freely and still get richer, while others are stingy but grow still poor. I like that. I like that. There is a challenge in the Word of God. You know about it. You've heard it, no doubt. You've heard it found in Malachi. And it's where God says, test me. It's the only place in Scripture where God says, test me. And you'll notice that God is saying, test me in this, uh, in this area of your finances, your resources. He didn't say, test me in the area of mercy, of grace, of forgiveness. But he said, test me in this area. Why did God choose that topic of money to say, test me? I believe he did it because he knew that you and I and, and our brothers and sisters throughout all all history of mankind would struggle in this area of handling money. Because, as I said earlier, we need it. And now when, when God is saying, give it to him, give it away, and remember the tithing is only really the beginning. We, we give more. And God, sa- God says, test me in this. He, he knew that he's getting right to the core of it. Because when we give something away that we need, then we're going to have to trust somebody to meet our needs. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need it. But what he's trying to tell us is, as I said earlier, I can be trusted. Trust me. So he says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 and 12, he says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. Then he makes this and and offerings in the storehouse. Test me now in this. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. Some translation, the windows of heaven, and pour out such a blessing upon you, you will not have room enough to contain it. You got the picture? Floodgates of heaven, windows of heaven. I don't know if those windows are sliding windows or push-open windows. I don't know. But that phrase, windows of heaven, appears about five times in the Bible. One of those times is in Genesis chapter 7. And it's when God was bringing judgment on the earth. He told Noah, go build the ark, bring two of every animal, close the door. What happened? God said the windows of heaven were open and it began to rain. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. At the same time, the springs of the earth burst forth. Water was coming up from the bottom. Water was coming down from the top. It rained so much for those 40 days that it flooded the earth that we're on today. Everything was destroyed. Everything was destroyed. Everything was destroyed but it happened because he opened the windows. So what's my point? My point is this. If God says he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not have room enough to contain it, the potential is there for him to bless you incredibly. If he opened the windows last time and flooded the earth, imagine what he can do this time. The potential is there for an incredible blessing in the lives of his children. There's a companion verse for this in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. It's the same idea of having more than you need. Hallelujah. We all like that. Come on, you know you like that. We all like that idea of having blessings from the Lord. The Jewish Bible says a blessing far beyond your needs. Wow. Far beyond your needs. That's good. That's really good. But will we trust the Lord? Notice the catalyst for giving. It's not when you have more. It's using what you have. I always hear people, oh, I wish I could do more. And I begin to correct people. I say, stop it. Why are you worried about what you don't have? Be faithful with what you have. That's all that God is asking us to do, is to be faithful with what we have. But the catalyst is our giving. That's what brings the blessing of God. You know, sometimes you hear these fools who play the lottery, and I use that word deliberately, those fools. They would rather trust the computer and the government to meet their needs instead of God. Sometimes you hear them and, and they'll ask, what are you going to do with all that money? You know, I'm pointing to this side. I'm not indicating you guys play. I'm still going this way, though. And they say, what are you going to do with all the money? And they say, oh, I'm going to give some to the church. And I want to say, "No, no! not only are you a fool, but you're a liar. Because if you're not doing it now, you're not going to do it when you get a, a lot of money, if you even get a lot of money, Right? God is concerned about what we have, not what we don't have. Give yourself a little peace. Be faithful with what you have. Number three, not only is there a sacred element, a supernatural element, but there is a sacrificial element. Sacrificial. I want to to declare to you that it seems like we need to develop in our churches a theology of suffering, a theology of sacrifice, because we've got it warped. We've got a warped understanding. We think that when we come to Christ, it's going to be a bed of roses. It's not. The good news is our sins are covered by the blood, and we'll have eternity with Christ. And the other good news is when we go through heartache, he's with us never to leave us. That's the good news. But to promise somebody that everything is going to be A-OK is just foolishness. Sacrifice is part of being a Christian. Now, don't shout me down. Sacrifice is part of being a believer. There is a richness in self-denial. Deliberate, purposeful, self-imposed hardship causing yourself grief, causing yourself a little discomfort because your sacrifice. Remember, we're talking about money, We're talking about money. So what am I saying? Let me get into your business a little bit since I'm leaving after this. Sometimes people will say, I don't have any money to give. And as they're telling you, they're sipping the Coke or they're drinking the coffee. And so if you're in the habit of going every day, if you think you don't have any money to spend or to spare to, for the kingdom, but you're in the habit of going, stopping at the gas station every day on your way to work getting a Big Gulp or whatever it is, or a coffee, I got news for you. If you stop that, you're going to have money to give. You don't need that donut. And I like donuts, but you don't need it. You don't, you know, it's interesting to find out how a Privilege, in our time, in our short lifespan, how quickly this happens. A privilege becomes a right. When I was a kid, we would vacation. There were seven kids in in the family, mom and dad and seven of us. Big family. Big Catholic family. Hallelujah. And we would vacation up north. And that's when the speed limit was 55. So we'd all pile in the station wagon, most of us. And dad would get behind the wheel and, and drive up. And there was no stopping for lunch somewhere in a restaurant. The place we stopped were the rest stops. And mom would get out the, the, the ham sandwiches on pumpernickel bread with a little mustard. You hungry? And, and we'd have water. Pop, forget it. You know, we'd have the water, hard boiled eggs. And we'd, we'd, anybody else? Sound familiar? We, we would do that. We'd sit at one picnic table, and my dad would sit at another picnic table far away. Because he needed a little peace from the journey. Remember, it was only 55 miles an hour. It was a, it was a long trek up north. And, and so that was it. I don't think I ate in a restaurant, a McDonald's, until I was about 12 years old. And it was, a, it was an, uncle, a, a, an uncle that actually took me there. I said, this is incredible. You mean people do this? And then I remember when my dad retired and we went up north, that same trek. And all of a sudden, instead of stopping for hard-boiled eggs and ham sandwiches, he says, hey, let's go to a restaurant. I said, when did this start? How can we go do that now? But, but now today, I don't even want to see a show of hands. How often do we eat out in restaurants instead of at home? And I've heard the excuse, it's cheaper to eat in a restaurant. No, add that again. But you see, we think, we think that now all of a sudden is a right instead of a privilege. Now, I'm talking to people, the mindset that says, I don't have money to give. I, don't, I just don't have it. Yes, you do. We have to live our life with margins. Margins. Which means with what you get, you don't have to spend it all. You don't live up to your means. You live under your means. When you live under your means, you're free to be sensitive to the Spirit and give strategically of your resources. Should I continue? Ignoring God's, mis- God's method of funding his mission, which is tithes and offerings. That's the way we propagate the gospel. That's how we get the gospel out here in the city, here in the country, out into the nations. We do it God's way. God says through tithes and offerings. Okay? Now, when we ignore God's ways, then we have, to, we have to settle for how the world brings in money for their causes. And the way the world does it, the business community, the way they do it, and the way the church has done it, which is embarrassing, I want to say that we as a church, we have embarrassed ourselves trying to get money into the church. You see, as Americans, we're good at spending our discretionary income instead of sacrificing. With whatever's left over, then we'll give it to God. And so because we're ignoring this principle of, of sacrifice and of honoring God with the tithe, we're, there's a shortage of money. And we embarrass ourselves because we stand here on a Sunday like today and we declare our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All the gold and silver is mine, declares the Lord. And yet during the week we're out there having bake sales, bowl car washes, golf tournaments, Youth pastors sleeping on billboards. We want everyone else's money to fund our mission. Shame on us. We're we're hypocrites. We're foolish. We're disobedient to the Word. If that is our primary source of income, we have missed it. And I'm saying, let's get back to what the Bible says. Let's get back to teaching... Because giving, honoring God with the tithe and sacrificial offering, that is Christianity 101. That is basic Christianity. Don't shout me down again. That's basic. We need to teach it. The reason, the reason it's not happening, we're not talking about it. Maybe we're not talking about it because we're not doing it. You say, how big of a problem is this? Let me tell you. In America, all denominations that say they love Jesus... Less than 5% of the Christians tithe. Less than 5%. And we think we're so generous. Please, imagine what we could do if everybody here tithed. If everybody here gave sacrificial offerings, imagine what Gateway could do. Something incredible. So let me, let me take this a, a little further, because I said when we start incorporating the world's way of doing things then our, our, our giving becomes carnal. Our approach becomes worldly. Let me show you how this has seeped into the church. If you ever watch Christian television, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you ever watch it, you'll see something like this. We need to stay on the air, so we need you to give. So they'll say something like, if you send $50 to this ministry, we'll send you an angel keychain. It's it's an angel keychain. You put your keys on it. You slip that into your pocket, right? And then whenever you doubt God's presence in your life, just reach your hand into your pocket, feel that angel, and know that God is with you. Hallelujah. For our special partners who send us $100, we'll send you a statue. Let's say it's a wooden statue. And it's a statue of David with a sling right? David with a sling like that. And you know, you can put it on your desk, and you know that when you're facing the giants in your life, that God is able to destroy those giants. You're our special partners. You send us 100, we'll send that to you. But now, for our premium partners, premium partners, you send us $250, we're going to send you a new Bible. And we're going to put your name on the Bible so that that will be a reminder to you that you're our special partners for this ministry. Hallelujah. Sound familiar? Let me tell you, I don't need an angel keychain in my pocket to remind me of God's presence. I need more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Number two, I don't need something for my desk. My desk is cluttered enough. Number three, I don't need a new Bible because I'm still trying to do what this Bible's telling me to do. Are we together? So you say, well, what's the, what's the harm? I'll tell you what the harm is. It has seeped into the church. We have trained ourselves and the generation following us don't give until you get something first. And then all of a sudden, we go shopping with our offering. So we, we, we check out the missionary when he comes and you say, hmm, I wonder if this one rings the bell, I'll give a little bit. TV ministry, oh, I like that teaching. I'll give it there so I can get those CDs. Oh, I like this because they're going to do this. We're shopping for our offering. Instead of being led by the Spirit of God, and being told to give by the Spirit and walking in obedience, we're making those judgments based on what we can get right now. How bad is it? I hate to say it, but, but watch the generation that's following us. I was in a church, and the, I was in the youth hall, and they had a, 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 a plaster board up there, and it said Team A, Team B right? And, and it was the youth leader who was organizing that. It was before the service, so I went in there. And, and as the, the young lady is fixing that board up there, there's a, there's a parent sitting on the couch right there. So I go to this lady, she, the young lady. She doesn't know who I am. She doesn't know what I'm going to do there in church. And I say, oh, what's that? And she said, oh, that's, we're having a contest for Speed the Light, now, I hope you do speed the light here. That, that helps missionaries, of course, with, with the needs they have. She said, we're having a contest. It's uh, like Team A against Team B, boys and girls mix. That's a good thing. And I said, so what, what are you trying to do? Oh, we're trying to see who raises the most money for speed the light. I said, well, that's a good idea. I said, so do the, do the young people give? And the mother, who really wasn't part of the conversation, but she butted in, she says, oh, no, the young people, they don't have any money so i just looked at her and i ignored her and 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 so i said to the girl well how do how do they get money and she says oh uh sometimes we we go out and they collect pop cans so i said okay i can i'm good with that uh they're they're expending energy and they're cleaning the environment these are good things i said no problem i said that's a that's a good idea and then i said uh well how else are they getting money she said oh we we, we've taken a jar and we've gone to the gas station and put on their Speed the Light offering for such and such church. We put it by the cash register so that people can give. And I said, well, how's that working for you? She said, not very good. So I said to myself, big surprise, right? Big surprise. And then I said, well, what else do you do to get money for Speed the Light? And she said, oh, we, we go to uh, like Sam's Club or these bulk places and we buy Pop, and we buy chips, and we buy uh, candy bars. And I said, "Oh, uh, what do you do?" She says, "Well, we sell them, and then the proceeds go to Speed the Light." I said, "Oh, and who buys those things?" She says, "The youth." So all of a sudden, the youth have money to buy something they want, and then the proceeds, which with, with which might be. or $0.25 goes for the missionary. And we're supposed to be happy with that. But I don't blame the youth because we modeled it. We modeled it. We're not talking about sacrifice. We're not talking about these other things. And so they're just trying to be creative. Hmm. Whatever happened? sacrifice whatever happened I'll sacrifice now and I'll get my reward in heaven since when do we need to receive something before we give I'm saying to you no more gimmicks no more giving for for self no more giving for what it's going to do for me let's reintroduce because it used to be there Let's reintroduce righteous sacrifice back into the kingdom. It used to be there. The early movement of the assemblies of God, it was all sacrifice. It wasn't always the business person or the wealthy person funding the mission of God. It was average people like you and me who willingly sacrificed so that the word of God can reach the nations. Let's bring it back. Let's sacrifice for the kingdom so that others will hear the message of forgiveness. Now I'm going to close for the first and only time. Psalm 67, I said, was a prophetic promise. It was. It was fulfilled and it continues to be fulfilled. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. I'm saying to you, God has blessed us. And the reason he has blessed us is so that the nations can hear him. Let me throw one more statistic at you. Someone here in America who is making minimum wage, working 40 hours a week for 52 weeks a year, somewhere around there, they'll make $15,000 for the year. If you listen to Fox News or CNN or anyone in between, you'll hear that's poverty. I'm not here to debate that, but I'm telling you that person who makes minimum wage, $15,000 a year, is among the top 12% richest people in the world. That means 88% of the world's population makes less than that person. I'm just saying to you, we're blessed. We're blessed. When I close the the service, I used to just turn it over to the pastor. But then recently I begin to pray. And I said, Lord, give me a word for each church. When I finish, let that altar time be the word. Okay? I used to do a generic thing that said, if you want God to be Lord of your finances, raise your hand. And almost everyone would respond. But I said, Lord, I want to be more specific. So I prayed that prayer and I was at a church and, and here's the word the Lord gave me for the church. Not this church, the other church. Here's what it was, repentance. So I said to the people, I said, here's the word of the Lord, I believe, and I am, I am subject to your, to your clearing of it by the Spirit of God, right? We judge that way ministers by the Spirit, and I said, here's what I believe God has said to me to say to you. Repent. Repent for the way that you've been handling your finances. Well, you can imagine. You thought you were quiet today. It was quiet. A few people responded. It's a tough, it's a tough response. No doubt about it. I'm not minimizing it, but it's tough. I went to the, to the next church, and the word was consecration. Consecration. So I told the people, God is saying, you know, consecrate the resources you have. Set them apart for God's use. And, and that was easier. People responded. And I was at another church, and the word was more of a phrase. It was this, see if they even want to do more financially this year. And I said, well, what does that mean? And, and I got the impression that, that the people didn't even really either want or even had the thought that they could do more for god that year when i said that i mean the people came alive it was powerful it was powerful they raised their hand the pastor man he he uh he said i'm not letting this go and he had another 10 minute message after mine i mean it was something god was doing something there it was great so i prayed for this service the, the earlier service, I said, Lord, what's the word for gateway? The gateway church, what is it? And this is, this is what the Lord said. A powder keg of potential. A powder keg of potential. I'm not sure. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure what that means. I understand. In my mind, I, I see the barrel like a powder keg and, and it's loaded with, with explosives right and a wick right you light that wick and boom so I'm assuming this is something good but I'm also assuming you're sitting on it I'm assuming that it's under you you don't realize it's there and maybe you need to do something what do you think I don't know I don't know but but What the Lord said was a powder keg of potential. So this is what I'm asking you to do. Would you respond to the message today and to that word? And if that's from the Lord, then somehow it's going to bear witness to you. I don't know. I didn't read the bulletin. I don't know the history. I did not talk with pastor. I'm just telling you what I sensed the Lord was saying. A powder keg of potential. Remember, we're talking about money today. We're not talking about talents, time, we're talking about money. There's a powder keg of potential. And I think God wants to do something among you. So, will you respond to that today? If that resonates with you, would you come to the front? And I just want to pray with you. I don't know, I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means, but I'm inviting you to come. And we're just going to pray. And as you're coming, begin to pray and use that phrase. Lord, what does this mean for me, this powder keg of potential? What does it mean regarding my finances? God speaks by His Spirit, God's up to something, right? He's up to something. not going to pretend to know what He's up to, but we just are called to respond. So you've responded. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you, Father, for my brothers and sisters. Some are leaders in the church. Pastor is here with his wife and Lord. They're responding as individuals, but they're also responding as leaders of this flock. So I pray, Father, that by your Spirit, you would reveal to these who have responded. Lord, show them what this means, a powder keg of potential. Lord, I pray, I pray that that this congregation, Lord, that there would be such confidence and such a step of faith for what you are speaking to them. Father, we come against the spirit of fear that says I'm afraid to give because what will be left for me Lord we come against that fear and we ask that as you take that fear bring a calm assurance deep into the spirit of every man and woman young and old remind them once again that you can be trusted Lord, I pray that the Gateway Church would do even more than they've done in the past to reach the nations of the world. Lord, the community of Spring Lake, that to reach this community is a small vision. To reach the state of Michigan is a small vision. To reach America is a small vision. Lord, blast away the small vision and let them have such a desire to reach the nations. To reach the nations. Lord, I believe from this church you're going to send out missionaries to the nations thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you for that. You're going to raise them up. And they're going to the nations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, for the one who's feeling the tug in their heart, you confirm it to them. You confirm it. Order their steps. Order their steps. And let them know that you, you are directing them. Hallelujah. Lord, blast any barrier away, any barrier away in the minds of anyone in this congregation. Let them see the nations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.